Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. Today is April the 14th. Uh, today we're going to continue our study in the book of Daniel. So if you got your Bibles, your computers, whatever you use, open up to the book of Daniel, chapter number 2, and that's where we're going to begin today. We're going to be talking about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And so in Daniel chapter 2, verse number 1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together today. Father, we love you. Do ask that you would go before us today. You would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us, Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you. We pray for what's going on in our nation and in our world. I ask, Father, for healing. I ask, Father, for restoration. Uh, Father, I just ask that your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in Daniel chapter number two, we are introduced to the first of a series of prophecies um, in regards to Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, as we talked about last time, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He was the one that came and carried the, the Israelites away into Babylon. And here in uh, verse number one, of course, we've already established that Daniel, Hananiah, Hananiah Mishael, and Azariah, they were the four young men that were carried away out of the court or the palace in Jerusalem. And now they had been brought into captivity and they had been, were, I guess there was a, an indoctrination period for them as they began to, to learn the customs, learn the science, learn the language, even the diet. We talked about how they stood up uh, and decided they didn't want the diet because it would defile them. And they were proved for 10 days. And sure enough, they looked, they looked fatter. They looked healthier than all the other young men because there were more. Just these are four Hebrews that, that uh, the book of Daniel is focusing on. And now we see, and we're not sure, we see here that it says in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep broke from him. So in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had these dreams, and his mind was troubled. He couldn't sleep. In other words, he couldn't fall back to sleep, because the things that he had dreamed began to disturb and trouble him. Now, I'm sure that we can all relate to that, some of us more so than others. I personally am a heavy sleeper, so once I go to bed, I go to bed. Uh, but sometimes there's there's things that I'm thinking about that you just can't let go. And apparently um, that, was, that was what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's, um, as a result of his dream. What we see here in, this, in these verses is that God is going to use a pagan monarch to set forth the course of the Gentile nations from Nebuchadnezzar all the way down to the very end when the Lord sets up his kingdom on earth. Um, I asked some, I asked a question the other day on Facebook. I'm trying to remember exactly uh, what it was um, in regards to the kingdom that the Lord uh, is going to establish. Um, I said that the, that the, uh, let's see, I'll get it right here. Um, that the kingdom 
and I ask them what did they they think of this so I put it on my directional my directional ministries page um, I said the kingdom is let me see here the kingdom is future it's physical and it's fraternal what does that mean well when we talk about the kingdom of God we're not talking about the here and now you and I are not in the kingdom um, we are in the age of the church we are in the times of the Gentiles the kingdom was legitimately offered to the nation of Israel I believe on the day of Pentecost it was rejected and therefore it is future so we do not live in a spiritual kingdom there is no spiritual kingdom um, the kingdom is future and it's physical it will come at the Lord's second coming in Revelation chapter number 19 and it's fraternal and this is the part where some would <clears throat> get a little bit out of shape with me but I don't believe the kingdom is for the Gentiles uh, Gentiles were never uh, promised a kingdom we were never promised to rule and reign or serve as priests or kings or um, and with Christ in the kingdom all those promises are for the Jews not for the Gentiles we are a heavenly people they are an earthly people theirs is the kingdom not us I mean certainly we'll have something to do with it but we have to realize that the kingdom is first and foremost its future we're not in it now uh, we're not bringing in the kingdom we're not building the kingdom we're not part of the kingdom uh, and it's physical and it's not spiritual and many will say that while the kingdom isn't physical now it's spiritual now I would argue against that it is not a spiritual kingdom it's a physical kingdom it's future it's physical and it's fraternal fraternal meaning it's for the Jews and the Jews alone so King Nebuchadnezzar began to have these dreams night after night he couldn't sleep and then in verse number two then the king commanded all the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dream so they came and stood before the king and the king said unto them I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac O king O live forever tell thy servants the dream and we will show the interpretation and the king answered and said unto the Chaldeans understand Babylonians are called Chaldeans uh, the thing is gone from me if you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall I make a dunghill so obviously the, <laughs> the king was quite authoritarian in other words he says you tell me the dream and the interpretation of it um, of course they were not up to the challenge of this if anything it just proves that that the devil because make no mistake about it these guys any power that they had did not come from God but it tells us that the devil is not omniscient which means the devil doesn't know everything it tells us the devil is not omnipresent which means the devil can't be everywhere and the devil is not omnipotent which means the devil is not all-powerful the devil had no way of knowing what the king had dreamt and therefore was unable to tell it to his little stooges so that they could make up some kind of interpretation for the king so um, now look down in verse number six but if ye show the dream 
in the interpretation thereof. So I want you to tell me exactly what I dreamed, and then I want you to give me the interpretation of it. Ye shall receive of me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. And they answered again and said, Lord, the king, tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain time because you see the thing is gone from me. In other words, the king is saying that he had forgotten the dream. Now, this may or may not have been the truth because he may very well have been putting his wise men to the test. So he accuses them of stalling for time. And the reason they're stalling from time is because uh, he, he would kill them. He would have their heads if they didn't give him the dream. But if you notice in verse number nine, I think we kind of get a clue as to what the king was doing because he says, but if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. Now this verse leads me to believe that he really had not forgotten the dream, but was testing them. Now that's just what I'm drawing from the text. I, I, I may be wrong, but uh, I think the wise men were simply saying, hey, tell us the dream. That'll give us a chance to make it up, make up something for you. Um, but then Nebuchadnezzar was going even deeper. I don't want your interpretation until you tell me what I dreamed. And if you can tell me what I dreamed, then I'll believe your interpretation. And that's the way most of it works today. You tell people your dream and then they give you the interpretation of what you, what you, what you dreamed. Well, why don't you tell me first what I dreamed, then I'll believe your interpretation. That's the test. <laughs> now, look in verse number 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There's not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, or ruler that asks such a thing of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So now they admitted that they couldn't do it unless he would give them a little bit more information. <laughs> Sounds like their gods were not big enough to do this for sure. Um, and then in verse number 12, for this cause, the king was angry. He was furious and he commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Because bear in mind, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were part of the wise men now because they had passed the test. And they were going to be, a, be slain along with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Now, not only, of course, were the wise men in trouble, but also Daniel and his friends. Now remember back in chapter number one, it, it, we were told the reason that these young men were brought to Babylon. They were brought to Babylon to be educated so that they might serve in the king's palace. So they were part of the mix. Um, but apparently they were not at this, in, this initial um, meeting with the king. I, I, I wonder why they were not there, but they weren't. Um, but, um, but they were part of the number, so they were in trouble just like the rest of them. 
So it says in verse 14, then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's camp captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? I mean, why is he in such a hurry? Then Arioch made the, made the thing known to Daniel. You know, he explained to him that the wise men, so this tells us Daniel and his friends were not there at the initial powwow, and, and that he would show the king, that the king, then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. So Daniel's the first to walk into the king and said, hey, if you just give me a little bit of time, uh, I'll give you um, the interpretation of the dream. And then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And I know that when we talk of these three young Hebrew boys, we're, we're very used to calling them Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I don't do that anymore. That was their pagan names. Uh, their real names, their Hebrew names, I, I think is what we need to, to recognize these young men for. They were representing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were not recognizing Nebo and, and Baal and Shaq. They were representing the God of Israel. So their names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, I believe are the names that we need to go by. And then the next verse says, that they would desire mercies of the Lord of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So the rest of, so they're part of that group. So Daniel figures it's time to pray. And then we get down into verse number 19, and guess what? Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So God heard the prayers of Daniel and granted them mercy because surely they were going to die with the rest of the wise men. You know, and I don't believe God had brought Daniel and his friends into Babylon just to have them slain at this point. God had a purpose for Daniel. I remember years ago when I was uh, in the military, I was in Okinawa and just went through quite a traumatic event as we'd come back from Korea this was back in the 80s, and, um, you know, I was talking to my grandmother one night, and, and I, she said, Son, you're immortal until God is through with you. And I believe those words with all my heart. We're, we're placed here on this earth to do a certain amount of things for God, and until we've done that, we're immortal. Nothing's going to happen to us until God desires to take us home. I really believe that. Uh, nobody goes away or goes home to the Lord without the Lord knowing about it. Uh, that's just God is sovereign. That means he reigns over all. God is in control of our lives. He's got the hairs of our head numbered. Now, obviously, that's not that difficult for me. <laughs> but God has our future in his hands, and God's not going to let anything happen to us until he's ready for something to happen to us. So God revealed the secret to Daniel in a night vision, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So they rejoiced, not only because their own lives had been spared, but even the lives of the other wise men. And notice that by God answering his prayers, it not only benefited him, but it benefited the other guys in the kingdom as well. 
You know, the Bible says that it rains upon the just and the unjust. In other words, God doesn't open the windows of heaven and just pour rain out on the righteous. Everybody gets the rain. Because God blesses his people, those around them get blessed too. You know, I believe that God's people are the glue that hold families, that holds communities and even nations together. I mean, we, you know, the righteous shall not be forsaken. God cares for us. You know, sometimes we get in this Elijah mode where we think we're the only ones, but there are many, many of God's children running around and God blesses the unrighteous because of the righteous, because we're there. Um, I even thought about that when my grandmother told me that, that you're immortal until God is through with you. And I was, you know, even back then as a young Marine, <clears throat> my uh, fellow Marines knew who I was and knew what I stood for. And uh, I remember telling some of them what my grandmother had said. And they kind of joked and went around that that uh, Spearman needed to be with them when they went out because uh, he's immortal <laughs> until God <laughs> is through with them. Uh, but uh, I believe that we're all in until God is through with us for sure. Um, now notice in verse number 20, and Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. You see, God was able to do what man and his wisdom and might could not. We need to learn from this. When the blessings of God are upon us, we need to express praise and gratitude knowing that it was not of us, but all because of him. God blesses us because he loves us. And I think we need to be, we need to be, you know, I remember a pastor telling me one time, when you don't know what to thank God for, that you know about, thank God for the things that you don't know about. I think God is constantly working on our behalf, even when we don't see it. I think God is behind the scenes. He's moving people. He's changing things. You know, we in our day would look at it as maybe that's coincidence. I don't believe there's such a thing as coincidence in the life of a child of God. There's Christ instance. There's Christ instances. It's, it's him working, moving shaping us into what and where he wants us to be. Uh, we're not lucky. Children of God aren't, don't believe in luck. You know, we're blessed. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with who he wants, the way he wants. And the sooner we can understand that, the more we can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, when things don't go exactly the way that I want them to go. Thank you, Lord. You must have something bigger and better going on. I had a preacher friend one time. He said, uh, we're like children whining because our parents won't take us to Burger King. And all the while, they're wanting to take us to Disneyland. <laughs> God has so much more for us uh, than we even Think about, you know, in Habakkuk, he said, if I was to tell you what I was going to do tomorrow, you would not believe it. Uh, now, notice in verse number 21, 
<clears throat> this is a huge chapter, by the way. And he changeth the times and the seasons. Now, still speaking of God, Daniel praising the Lord here. He removeth kings and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness. See, he knows what's in the dark, even though we don't. And in the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and I praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So now Daniel is just praising the Lord. Uh, imagine one minute your life is at stake, the next minute God has saved it. So this is what is called a doxology, by the way. A doxology is a spontaneous expression or acclamation of praise. Daniel is just praising the Lord. He's having a holy conniption fit. <laughs> just thanking God for his goodness and everything that God is getting ready to do in his life. I, I, for some reason, I was drawn to that. Thou who, wast, who hast given me wisdom. You know, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is just the gaining of information. Wisdom is how to use that information. We have a lot of knowledgeable people in our culture today, but we don't have many wise people in our culture today. Big difference. A lot of knowledge, but don't know how to apply that knowledge. So, uh, then look down in verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the, to the king the interpretation. And then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah, that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, and the interpretation thereof? See, the king still won't know. You tell me what I dreamed, and then I'll take the interpretation. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven. I love that. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Now we see here that Daniel is saying, uh, I know the dream. And I know the interpretation. I love that part. But there is a God in heaven. Can you imagine here Daniel, a slave, standing before the world's ruling monarch, declaring the power of God. Understand, this monarch, as we talked about in the last chapter, <clears throat> he was vicious. You know, we think of like a president or a prime minister. No, big difference with a monarch. I mean, this guy didn't need anybody's permission to do what he wanted. Uh, he didn't have a Congress that he had to satisfy or to, 
or to please. He did what he wanted. And Daniel, this young man, basically essentially a slave, is standing before this man declaring the power of God. Man, I wish the church was better at this. You know, sadly, many Christians have a difficult enough time just praying over their food in a public place. You know, we need to remind men everywhere that there is a God in heaven. You know, <clears throat> I'm not much of an, an apologist. You know, an apologist is someone who defends the faith. I mean, I preach the faith, I teach the faith, uh, but, you know, I just don't like to argue with people. I, I really do not like to argue with people. Now, I'll get into it with students sometimes people that I'm vested in, people that are close to me, that uh, I, I'm in a process of discipling or mentoring. But, you know, when some bozo throws something to me at fa on Facebook, you know, I could care less. <laughs> I mean, you know, just study the scriptures and see if these things be so. If you disagree with me, fine. You know, you're going to stand before God just as well as I'm going to stand before God. You're going to give account of yourself just like I'm going to give account of myself. But like I've always taught people in my ministry, know what you believe, but know why you believe it. You know, like I mentioned at the beginning of this about the whole kingdom thing. Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that we're living in the kingdom right now? Why, why do you believe that? Because that's what you've been taught. You know, why don't you dig into the scriptures for yourself and see if, see if these things be so. Be a good Berean. Open your Bible. Study it for yourself. Question the assumptions. And there's a lot of assumptions in the church today. When you start questioning those assumptions, well, why do I believe that? You know, why do, why do I believe in the virgin birth? Because someone told me that? No, because the Bible taught that. Is the virgin birth, birth essential? You bet. If Christ be not born of a virgin, he was born and conceived in sin just like you and me, and he couldn't be our savior. So it's not something that's disposable to the faith. Know what you believe, but know why you believe it. If he was not born of a virgin, we're not saved. And better yet, we need to live like there's a God in heaven. We, the, the body of Christ, need to live like there is a God in heaven, just like Daniel here. All right. I would give an altar call at that point, but we'll move on. Notice in verse 28 that it says, that God will show him what shall be in the latter days. King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, as I said at the beginning of this study, covers a period from 600 BC during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar until the day and beyond the day in which you and I live, right on down to the establishment of the kingdom. Um, you know that future physical fraternal kingdom uh, that will be established one day. That's the latter days. Um, it'll run all the way down into the end. That's a different study. I, I believe we're in the latter days, but I guess there's a ladder of the ladder. Um, and then notice in verse 29, as for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? He that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. Speaking of God. 
But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any other living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Notice the humility of Daniel as he says, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. Daniel is humble. He's, you know, I was talking to a brother the other day. The older I get, the more humility I have <laughs> because I have taught so many things in my life. I have done so many things in my life that I look back on now. I wish uh, maybe I had slowed down just a little bit. You know, I tended to be a little more dogmatic on some issues that maybe I shouldn't have been so dogmatic on because I just felt that that was the way it was. You know, it's like I've told you guys before. If you would have asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have, I would have had an answer. Matter of fact, on some issues, if you would have asked me a year ago, <laughs> I would have had an answer. You know, we're all learning and growing. It's not because of any wisdom that I have. Uh, not any wisdom that I have, but for their sakes, he shall make known the interpretation to the king. You know, the older, the get, older you get, supposedly the wiser you need to get. You know, wisdom comes by hard knocks, I believe. You get knowledge, but it's unfounded, untested knowledge. And then as that knowledge gets tested, it turns into wisdom. I used to tell the young people that I would teach, um, <clears throat> you lack common sense. You know, because we would start talking about life, and whether they be 8th graders, 11th graders, it doesn't matter. Uh, they have no common sense. Um, common meaning life. Sense is where is, is experience. Uh, they have no life experience. So I would tell them, you know, they, there's no use looking at your friend. He's just as dumb as you are. <laughs> they lack common sense. Common sense comes uh, by experience. And that experience generates wisdom. And older people have that. It breaks my heart when I look into churches today and they're full of 30-somethings or full of 20-somethings. And then I look in other churches and they're full of 60, 70, and 80-somethings. That's not the way the Lord meant for it to be at all. The body of Christ is all ages, all colors. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's not made up of just, you know, this group or that group. It's the entire body. Uh, the young people need the older people. You know, when you're just surrounded by a bunch of people that have no more common sense than you do, the guy on the platform, you know, he's the same age. Um, you know, it's just, it's like uh, one time I was listening to a preacher preach on how to raise children, and uh, he had none. You know, so where where is he getting all this information you know he's getting knowledge out of textbooks but he has no wisdom in the situation because he has no common sense <laughs> in the situation who was it it was mark twain that said it's a shame that youth is wasted on the young <clears throat> i wish i could go back to my 18 year old self my 20 year old self my 25 my 30 my 35 year old self 
with the wisdom that I had right now as a 53-year-old man. I think I would make a lot of different decisions. Wouldn't you agree with that? I think so. And then notice in verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest and beheld a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. So from this point on, <clears throat> we will study this great image, which has to do with the Gentiles, with the Gentile age, which began officially, I believe, with the fall of Babylon, the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon in 600 B.C., and will continue on until the return of Christ in Revelation chapter number 19. Now, though I do not believe that we need to necessarily be looking for signs, I spent the better half of my younger ministry looking for signs. The Jews demand signs, the Greeks demand wisdom. The, you know, we're not, certainly there are things that are going on that point to the possible end of the Gentile age, specifically the restoration of Israel as a nation, which happened in 1948. And I believe that, that a second big sign was 1967 during the Six Day War when Jerusalem was liberated from Gentile control. But you know what? This may or may not be a fulfillment of Luke 21, 24. You know, Luke 21, 24, it says, Jesus said, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So I believe that those were markers, 1948, 1967. And today Israel is an independent nation. I do believe that because all prophecy points to the nation of Israel. All prophecy points to the nation and is for the nation of Israel. So I don't think we're to look for signs, but certainly some things are happening around us that certainly does point to God doing something awesome. Um, and then notice in verse 32, this image's head was of fine gold. So he's describing, as we will see, a statue. Um, this image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till all till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken in pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. So <clears throat> here's the image. Now he's, he's telling King Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was, and I'm sure at this point the, the, the king is beginning to nod and disagree and in agreement realizing that this young man had truly been uh, given by God exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. And he sees this image, this huge statue, and its head is made out of pure gold. Its chest area was made out of, out of silver. 
and then it comes down to its stomach area made out of brass, and then its legs made out of iron, and then the feet made out of iron and clay. So I'm sure the king is sitting there nodding in disagreement. He realizes there's something about this young man. And then now in verse number 36, Daniel says, this is the dream. And now we will tell the interpretation before thereof before the king. So this tells me that Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah was with Daniel because it says, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. So now Daniel begins the interpretation. So now remember, the king wanted him to reveal the dream. And now that he knows that Daniel has indeed been revealed the dream, he's going to allow Daniel to give the interpretation. So <clears throat> notice verse number 37. He said, Thou, O king, art king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory, and Wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. So we know from history that King Nebuchadnezzar was the first, first world-ruling monarch. Now there were kingdoms before Babylon, make no mistake about it, Egypt, Assyria, and then Babylon came into line, but Babylon was the greatest it was the biggest. It had the most control of the known world at the time. So this head of gold is Babylon. Easy enough, as that he said as much. Now, notice in verse 39, And after thee shall arise another kingdom, but it will be inferior to thee. And another, a third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all of the earth. So Daniel says, after you will come a kingdom that is inferior. That means not as good, not as great. And then that kingdom would be followed by another kingdom that would bear rule over all the earth. Okay. Um, now we know historically that after the fall of Babylon, and this is quoted in the book of Daniel, the Medo-Persia or Persian Empire rose under Cyrus. And we know that at the decline of the Medo-Persian Empire, they fell to the Grecians, the Greeks, under Alexander the Great. So what we see here, obviously from scripture, is that after the fall of Babylon would come the Medo-Persians, which was inferior to the Babylonians, and then a third kingdom of brass would come that will rule over all of the earth. And we know that Greece was headed by a young man by the name of Alexander, who became Alexander the Great. And then notice verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. So this is a fourth kingdom that's, that's represented by the legs. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Here's a, uh, a, um, <clears throat> a picture here that shows <clears throat> exactly what this image <clears throat> could have looked like. You see the head of gold there, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And then you see the chest and the arms of silver. I think the left and the right arm represent 
a, a, a unity of the Medes and the Persians that came together to conquer Babylon. And then you come down into the belly and the thighs of bronze. This represents uh, the kingdom of ancient Greece, which of course was ruled by um, Alexander the Great. And then of course when he died, you know, it was divided among his four generals. And then it comes down into the kings, the legs of iron. Um, and as you know, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, you know, the descendants of, of Alexander the Great, you know, they ended up uniting. And of course, the kingdom of ancient Rome was born. And I think there's a lot to be said about those two legs. Uh, some would say it was just Ptolemy and Seleucid, Seleucid that they represent, but I think it's a lot, uh, a lot more than that. I think it's, it represents political Rome on one side and spiritual Rome on the other side. And then in our study, it, it comes down and says, <clears throat> and whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron. So we come down to the feet and, you know, of course there's 10 toes on the feet and they're made up of iron and clay. Uh, they're made up of iron and clay. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron, part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to the other, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So this fourth or this, this empire that would arise here, um, represents uh, Rome that is mixed with clay. So we come down from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome, which is the legs, but now we come down into the feet and we still have that element of iron, but the iron is mixed with clay. Now, to me and many, this means that the Roman Empire never really went away and the Roman Empire will return someday. Uh, that was a rhyme. I didn't mean to do that. But <clears throat> we know that the legs, I believe, reflect political Rome, spiritual Rome. While political Rome is no longer functioning, spiritual Rome is very much uh, alive and well today. And, and obviously that political Rome is going to come back. And we call this the revived Roman Empire. So we Babylon's gone, Medo-Persia's gone, Greece is gone, Rome is gone for the most part, politically at least. So that means that you and I are looking for this fifth kingdom, uh, which is this, this revived Roman Empire. And we'll get into that next time. It's quite interesting. But look over in Revelation chapter number 17, uh, read that chapter, uh, especially focus on verses 10 through 12. And uh, we're going to break that down next time that we're together. Anyway, our time is gone. God bless you guys. I do hope that you've enjoyed this study. I pray that every Wednesday night you'll come along. I pre-record these because on Wednesday nights I'm just not able to do a live recording. The live recordings only come on Sunday morning, but the Wednesday nights are pre-recorded. But I do hope that you can enjoy them. And bear in mind that all of my studies, you know, you can either find them on Facebook, YouTube. Do me a favor, go on to my YouTube channel and like that. 
Uh, I really need some more subscribers there. And then also it's placed on um, iTunes. So if you have that app on your phone, you can listen to them on iTunes. It's a podcast. And then also because I place it on SoundCloud and SoundCloud automatically puts it on iTunes. <clears throat> and you could download the SoundCloud app as well on your phone. So you got many ways to listen. And then finally, I put it on my blog. And the difference with the blog is that all of my notes are there. So you can actually look at the very same notes that I'm looking at. Um, you know, so you got plenty of ways to study this. And of course, I'm always here to help any way that I can. Well, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great rest of your week until we meet again on Sunday. We'll talk to you later. God bless you.